Bossy Witches. This is Ayodele Fuega of BossyBruja.com. Welcome back to the Bossy Bruja podcast. We are going to be winging it tonight. <laughs> I have my friend Neha Ray. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Raya um, Maji, but you can just say Neha. I'm fine with that. Neha, my love. So I don't even know. Like, there's so much that I don't know. So I am going to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself, because in my mind, I'm like, would Neha be, would you, would you identify as an immigrant? Would you identify as first generation, a refugee? Like, I don't even know these things. I've known you for what, like 10 years now? Yes, yes. It's been a long yeah. last time. I don't think I've ever seen you in person. Nothing. Which is magical, right? We have this bond right. without our physical bodies being involved at all. We have prayed together for years. I've yes. you've sent me amazing presents. The latest gift I've received from you is the you call it payal. Is that how you pronounce it? Payal. Yes. Payal. These beautiful chime anklets from your homeland, which was such a surprise because when it came in the mail, it was like either the day or the day before I, I had been wanting to purchase some bells for my for my ankles. And they just showed up in the mail. I didn't even know you were sending anything. Just warms up my heart. <laughs> <laughs> just amazing spirit be on it. And I have, like, you know, there are things on my my altar and the altar that I do um, burns for other people in the community. But one of the only things on this altar is a piece of art that you created for me years ago that has, I think I've lived in maybe three or four different places now since I received this beautiful piece of art, which is supposed to go on my book of shadows, but it's still out on my altar. One day. I'm excited for it. But our whole thing is you're a writer. You're now an award-winning writer. I read your short story, Pink Frock, which I loved, which I was just like, afterwards, I had to just be still. It was so beautifully written. I always, always love to read your writing, no matter what it is. It could be a caption on Instagram, and I'm just like, the world is a better place because Neha's writing. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. You're an I mean, writer. I wouldn't have continued writing if it wasn't for you. This line, I am never going to forget. You exact. You said, you are going to write the books that our daughters will need to read. Yeah. And this yeah. is like seven, eight, nine years ago, and <laughs> I have held that deep, yeah. like in my heart, and that's what keeps me going. So thank you. Yes, you're so welcome. Thank you for writing. That's the the thing that I've I've kind of started saying now. Thank you for writing because I really do feel that way. I there is a a certain state that mm-hmm. I enter into when I read your writing. Very, very. It's not even similar. It's the exact same. Oh, kind of like I entered into this twilight zone where it's nothing else exists, nothing else matters in that moment. I feel like 
a super powerful woman is pouring into me, like a, a wisdom that is very, very important, something something that I have to get, something required, okay? Like a spiritual food or a feast of some kind, right? But it's it's like something that I'm drinking in that I have to have that is like necessary for the next leg of the journey, right? And it's the same thing that happens to me when I read anything by Alice Walker. And Alice Walker, I went through a phase, like maybe, I would say freshman, sophomore year in college, where it was all about in search of our our mother's gardens. When I was reading that book, I was obsessed. And I I thought that I was as obsessed with Alice as she was with Mama Zora Neale Hurston and how yeah. she had to come down to Florida and find where she was buried. And, you know, she she was buried in an unmarked grave. Can you imagine? Zora Neale Hurston, which was, it's just insane. She, she, I think when she passed away, she was a librarian. She mm-hmm. was earning pennies. And she, no one could afford to get her headstone done. So Alice Walker came in and, and had it done. And she said she was, she was walking through high grass, calling out to Zora, trying to feel her spirit and, like, feel where she was buried. So I went through a phase where I was obsessed with mm-hmm. Alice. And the thing that happens when I read her writing is everything else has to stop. My mother actually got me um, Alice's latest book of poetry for my 30th birthday. And I don't think my mom even understands how huge that was for me. But that the importance of Alice's writings are the exact same. I, I just know it, you know. I think that our children will read your writings and have that same type of, this is important, let me absorb these writings with my spirit. So when I tell you, girl, write, I'm not joking at all, you know, at all. Thank you. so much to me. Thank you. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. And, you know, <laughs> every time I think about our, our, spirituality and what we've shared as far as the praise. I always think of your chanting. My goal was to start every podcast with a prayer, but I think I fell off (laughs) like four episodes Mm -hmm. ago. But I would love it if you would start out with a chant so everybody can know what I'm talking about and also so I can come back and listen whenever I want. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So (laughs) I will do a chant that I've been doing for about 12 years now. Um, I really feel like this is what has kept me alive in a foreign country mm. that doesn't want me. But I've said, you know what? I'm going to be here whether you want me or not. And okay. I have, <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to share with all of your folks because your family is my family. And yeah, yes. I'd like to stand with everybody who's your family. Yes, yes, I love it. Om in Vim Kalika Namaha Om 
Thank you so much. We oh, oh, oh. me and like you say, my spirit squad were officially here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome family. Oh my god. I love hearing you dance. It's Thank the you. best thing. It's the best thing. I I want read that chanting can open portals the 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 power of sound you know it it can't be overstated can't be yeah. overstated you know and even cuz you know I was raised pentecostal christian we can talk about your religion oh that would be good for the podcast I was um I was raised Pentecostal Christian, so I always go back to the Christian Bible, and I loved in Pink Crop <laughs> when you said God intervened the English ones <laughs> or the English ones. I love yeah. that line from from um your short story, and I w- I want to make sure that I get the link because I want people to be able to go read Pink Crop. This is an award winning short story, which, ooh. I, I liked one of the um, the critics, or I guess one of the judges wrote that you packed a lot into such a short story. I think it was only what three pages. Yeah, I had I had I had a limit that I needed to follow, but also capture this like in depth experience. So yeah, yep. Yeah, you were able to touch on a little bit of feminism, a little bit of parenting. Beauty, standards of beauty. Whew. Girl. And cycling back to how your mother's values have changed from when you were a girl to now. <laughs> you, you being a, an adult and having the... who Who is the young girl around her now? Is that your niece? Um, yeah. And, and uh, it's a symbolism for a lot of my nieces and nephews. Yep, like everybody growing up there back in my home, Nepal, right now. Yeah. So they're still there, huh? Yeah. I'm like, so, I was wondering how much of the story was you. Yeah. It, and it, how much it, it's, of... Um, yeah, it's 85% real <laughs> me. Wow. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would love to start with um just my name and who I am. Yeah, um, please. Okay, so as I said, you know, my name is Neha and I inherited this from my grandmother and her brother who was a medical doctor but also an astrologer and oh, my name yeah. translates to vision of love in Sanskrit. So Neha means vision and also love. 
Um, so yeah, compassion or like vision of love. That's what my name means. And it yeah. is a name that was given to me 11 days after I was born. Um, you know, until then, I was just a combination of nicknames and terms of endearment. And in the 11th day, um, all the astrologers and my parents and my like extended family came together in a ceremony that's done um, in a Nepali Hindu context, and it's called Nwaran. And they um, sit together and they make a birth chart, which is called Kundalini, and they come up with a name for a baby based on their birth chart. Um, so this oh, wow. was a name that was, you know, like my grandmother and my stars and my ancestors chose it for me. And sometimes this name feels heavy and it feels flawed and it feels very foreign even to me. Um, I'm, I'm 30 years old and it still sometimes feels like, oh my God, what does this name mean? But I also feel like it's the name that was given to me by like people and energies that I highly respect. So I have to live up to this name. I have to grow up oh. to this name. So this means extremely, so this is very important to me. So when a lot of like, especially white folks fuck it up and call me Nina or Neha, I am very oh, pleased no. to say my name is Neha. Say it right because the stars. <laughs> Close it for me. Um, yes. Wow. And you know, outside looking in, I think you're doing a great job living up to the name. But you know, I'm all for growth. But I think you're doing great so far. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I love um, that there was this big ceremony. Wow. Yeah. So I was I was born in Nepal, born and raised in Nepal. I actually came to the United States when I was 19 years old. I came here alone mm. because of war, um, because a lot of struggles that was happening back home. And I grew up in a Hindu country, but a lot of people don't know that um, Gautam Buddha, you know, the Buddha was also a Nepali Hindu prince who was born in the same region that I was born in. And he used a lot of Hindu um, strategies and tools to create Buddhism. So it was a Hindu country, but where Buddhism was very respected. Um, but when mm. I speak of Hinduism, it's not Indian version of Hinduism. It's pre-colonial Hinduism, which respects mm. a lot of like, like female goddesses and tantrism and like voodoo and a lot of those stuff. Versus oh, like, wow. Yeah, so a lot of Hinduism that I feel like Americans or Westerns analyze is Indian Hinduism, which is very post-colonial because Nepal was never colonized by England. So we were able to maintain some of the, the, the quote-unquote wild Hinduism versus the yeah. post-colonial Hinduism was very much affected by the story of Christ and, you know, the respectability politics, uh, the patriarchy, which, like, didn't dismiss a lot of, like, women figures and witches and, like, magic. Um, so wow. I was fortunate to born in a country that still had space for a pre-colonial Hinduism. Um, I love wild also, Hinduism. Yeah. However, also had space for Buddhism, and um, a lot of other religions. Um, it was 
way, way more tolerant um, than United States right now. Um, so yeah, I was born in a Hindu country that worshiped Buddha, but also in a very communist family because my grandfather was one of the first communist leaders of the country. So we grew up believing in God, but not in rituals, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you so, you didn't have any rituals? Um, yeah, we didn't. We Growing up, it was very like, okay, let's celebrate this festival. But like, mm-hmm. I did not get to follow a lot of the rituals that people in my, in my class were following, which had pros mm. and cons. Like, because no matter how like pre-colonial or post-colonial, there are a lot of positives and negatives um, that comes up with the spiritual rituals. So like one yes. of the positive things is like I remember my like uh you know young girlfriend girlfriends uh not being able to enter the temple because they were on their period or whatever. And however mm-hmm. my family was like, you know, you still get to have access to goddess. Fuck whether you're bleeding or not. Um yes. that was my family okay. not following <laughs> Yeah. That was my family not following the rituals. However, I also missed up missed on a lot of these chants that I, you know, started this conversation with. I also missed up on a lot of like worships and burning of incense and like community songs. So it was a lot of like pros and cons growing up. Um also I I spent ten years in a Catholic school. That was very ten very years? Nice. Ten years I, I spent in a Jeez, Catholic school. That's- yeah, that um, did its best to make me break my tie with spirituality and follow the version of Christianity that they thought was the right version of Christianity. Um, yeah, Wait, say so that I again? Say, huh? Say that again? So, yes, I, like spending 10 years in a Catholic school meant that they did all they could to break my connection with, uh, you know, the more like, quote unquote, pagan, the spiritual version of my relationship with God, you know, like Catholic school meant like following rituals and following like, this is how God meant you to be. Um, So did so they did their best to break my tie with like, another version of spirituality that was that I was born with. 10 years and they failed. What do you think made you so resilient? Because um, Catholicism is, whew. Yeah. I, I, think, I think just the fact that, like, I am an only child and uh, being in a Catholic school with all these other women gave me this, this like, really powerful sense of sisterhood. And yes. it just felt very, like, you know, like, God couldn't be a blue-eyed, like, light-skinned man, you know? Like, because I get all my power from these, like, brown, black-skinned young girls. You know, if I'm getting my power from them, I can't fucking believe that God is a blue-eyed, light-skinned guy. Like, I just, like, I, I don't know, maybe I was eight or nine-year-old when I was like, no, God cannot be a blue sky, blue-eyed man. I refuse right. to believe that. Um, so I don't I, know where I didn't get that until I was 17. <laughs> I love that right. you got it at eight. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where it came from, but it came from very, very early on. I was like, I refuse to believe this. And I think it was also this inherent 
uh, rebellious nature that I was born with. I was I, I refused to believe that that was the God, um, you know, and that God would be so selfish and would say, oh, you can only worship me or that I wouldn't love you if you do this and that. I just I just felt so in love with God's or universe from early age that I refused to believe that God would be so small and like angry and intolerant. So right. no matter what they were feeding me, something deep down, I was like, nah, you're lying. You're lying. Mm-hmm. I completely yeah. agree. I had that moment too when I was 17 years old in the middle of a sermon where I had to get up and it was very awkward. I didn't give a shit, but I had to get up and leave the sanctuary because my thought, it, at first I started shaking uncontrollably. This has never happened since where I can't stop my body from shaking like a leaf all over. And my thought was, you are lying. You're lying. Yeah. It it was the whole, you're born in sin spiel. And I was just like, no fucking way. I've seen babies. Babies are fucking perfect and they know it, yeah. you know? And so I had that moment, too, where it was like, you're lying. You're lying. But I'm just love that you got it so early. I didn't start going to church until I was eight years old. So you were you were there from what age? Age six? Um, I was there. From, I mean, I was born there and I was there till I was 18 years old. Whoa. My God. Yep. I was so if you're. What made them send you to, or your parents, I'm assuming, what made them send you to a Catholic school? Um, so I were? think it was a class thing, and it was also this global white worshipping of whiteness. Um, so mm. for us, missionaries meant, you know, it, it had nothing to do with Christ. It had everything to do with whiteness because Christians equals, equaled for us um, white people so when missionaries mm. came it was like European missionaries who came to our country and who established schools to convert us but to a lot of like Nepali families it was a way to climb the class ladder it was to cl- climb that status ladder you know like if we are mm. close to whiteness you mean you have like progressed um, so right. you know it's, it's a product of colonization like the whole world was made to believe that white equals to right um, so it was it was that so my parents did a lot to get me into this school started and ran by missionaries and one of those things included lying about my date of birth um, so till <clears throat> this as I'm in the United States my um, IDs will say that I was born in October 1st, 1987. And that was just to get me in the school that was ran by missionaries, even though my real date of birth is March 10th, 1988, right? My parents had to I lie about I was going to say, I thought you were a Pisces. <laughs> I, I am. I am so much a Pisces, you know. But You're like, such a Pisces. <laughs> right? Wow. Um, yeah. But it just meant... Um, assimilating to whiteness and it meant assimilating to a class um, status so they did every day bribed people to get me in you know all of that so yeah so it was just a status thing wow that is so my best friend um, in high school is from Congo Zaire mm-hmm. and 
one day it slipped out that she was actually 21 when we all thought she was closer to 18. Mm. And she, she, you know, she pulled it back really quick, but I'm like, bitch, how old are you? And it was so interesting being her friend because my, my entire relationship with her, especially when we were super young, you know, like, we, I graduated when I was about 17, but I always felt like she feels like an old, an old person. <laughs> she had a car. She was working full time. She was paying bills in her house, taking care of a sick, sick parent. Like she was just doing all of these things that, you know, you know, you don't tend to find people doing when they're in high school. Just the maturity level there was, it was always, it was so interesting. I, I've never heard anyone else say, hey, my documents are false information is a lie. Fucking love that. I love it. Okay, so tell me what was happening at home that led to you needing to leave the country? And when you came to the United States, where did you land? What did you do? How were you in this new place by yourself? Like, what was that like? <sighs> Pisces, no less. Oh, my God. I, I mean, right? Um, yeah, so I was 17, 18. Um, and um, I grew up in an extended family with my my dad, his parents, a lot of cousins, a lot of aunts and uncles. Um, however, my dad was also going through substance abuse um, situation, and he wasn't very healthy. And my mom, it was an arranged marriage between my mom and dad, and they were 17 when they were forcefully arranged marriage by their parents. It was a political Ooh. alliance, and, you know, they were babies when they got married. And um, as, like, a, they they had to produce a child, so... I feel like I was born not because two people wanted to give birth to a child, but because it was an obligation that two very young people needed to fulfill, um, which, you know, I am okay with now. But like growing up, I knew that and I felt very, very insecure about that, knowing that I was a child that wasn't wanted by my parents, um, you know, and so they were very young. They had me product of un um product of arranged marriage um they didn't know each other until the day of marriage they were like until the day of wedding they were 18 they had me and um i remember people like narrating the story a lot but a couple of days after i was born my mother had this uh doula this like you know person who was helping her nurse me and somehow they say that she was possessed by a spirit and there was this thing where like my mo- my mother carried me and she was like running around this fire because we don't have central heat or whatever in Nepal. So there's a lot of like fire with woods and stuff. So she was running around it. And this woman who quote unquote was possessed was like chasing her and she wanted to throw me in the fire. Um, oh, and, no. Um, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I did not know of until recently, but I had been dreaming of since I was 10 or 11. Um, so, so, wow. yeah, so, so 
I was I was born to that, and so my dad had a lot of issues with substance abuse. So home to me was very very violent. Um, you know, not not that my parents didn't love me, but they had sickness that they were battling in. And when you're battling uh, uh, demons that are way bigger than you, um, you do not have space and time to love people that you actually want to love. Um, so I just was alone most of the time. I think a lot of uh, books raised me, a lot of people who were not my cast, who were outside nature, um, incense, music, um, temples, pictures of goddesses, that's what raised me um, because mm. I went to things to to find what maybe like babies get from their parents um so I, i'd like to think that i raised myself with help of these other extra things in my life that i can't really explain because they're not they don't fit into norms um and so by the time i was 17 i very much wanted to leave because i knew if i stayed oh. with my parents I wouldn't be able to pursue education because I had to take care of wow. my parents. One was, you know, one had substance abuse issues and one had mental health. My mother had mental health um, issues. So I, I, I had to make a very, very difficult choice. Like, do I take care of them or do I take care of myself? Um, and I said to myself, I said to myself, you know, I'm not going to make this decision. I am going to apply for this thing, and if I get in, I am I'm going. If I don't, then I know that my job is to take care of these two people who are good people but who have battles to fight. Um, and I and I applied for scholarships, and and I got in, and I knew I had to leave. And also, there was a war going on back in my country where. We had kings and queens, and there was a civil war going on, and I wasn't very safe because my grandparents were communists and a um, lot of bombings. There was a time I was 16 years old, and I saw somebody being shot right in front of me. Um, and, you know, like, because they were trying to kill my grandfather, and I was right there. So there, there, there was just a lot of pain. And I knew that as much as like United States would be painful, I knew I had to get out. Um, so I applied for this thing. I let the universe decide for me and they did. And I just came, I came to North Carolina um, where I met Ayo and like bunch of amazing people. And I finished my undergrad there, but I like was, it, it was very, very sad because I could not meet anybody that could match up to the spiritual amazingness that my country provided me in spite of war, in spite of internal wars, in spite of drug addiction, all that. But when I was in the square circle, it was like 45 minutes of me time traveling to all the div divinity that I had in my country. Wow. Um, yeah, so it, it meant a lot. And and I was still, you know, I was still struggling to speak in English. This is not my language. This is not how I communicate. So I was trying. But this prayer circle was really, really helpful because irrespective of my, like, words and nouns and adjectives, like, I felt like I was being communicated properly. And that, like, my spirit squad had, like, sat in that airplane and like made this journey with me and that they were here with me in North Carolina. 
So it was extremely yeah. important for me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so I'm forever grateful to that. I still get goosebumps when I talk about that, you know, and, and I don't know if I remember it, but I was like extremely, like I didn't have confidence, I couldn't speak, but I was very, very present in these prayer circles, and it's been like 11 yes. years now. 11 years, and I'm still connected to everybody who was in that prayer circle. That's amazing. Yep. So amazing. I know you, I met you through Ashabi. Ashabi yeah. was friends with your ex-girlfriend, and uh, somehow you came up in conversations with Ashabi because the yep. blue door thing, there was something about a blue door, like an event at you guys' house, I think. Um, yeah. You know, where the, she was a, a guitarist, I think, right? Yep, yep. And I never met her either. So these these are just people that were in Ashabi's world. And I suppose she invited you to a prayer call because she and I used to host them. And Ashabi is my, my best friend for, you know, those who are like, who the hell is Ashabi? I guess that doesn't really say much of who she is. Maybe I'll have her on one day. <laughs> she is now pretending to be Seventh-day Adventist again, but that's a whole other thing. But she she told me about you, and you came, and I just, I remember the chanting. I remember the chanting. Everyone would be floored. Everyone would be silent, and you would chant. And I was like, this is medicine. The chanting is medicine. And we we just prayed. Those that was a very special time and a very special group of people, right? It was it was a very fluid thing. There would be people coming and going, some who were very stable over a period of I want to say about five years on and off, and. Oh, yeah. um, it just was so good. We At one point, we were meeting every single week. Sometimes mm-hmm. we would talk on the phone until 3 in the morning. <laughs> and it was incredible. Such a wonderful time. And the sisterhood has always been very prominent in my life. I, my mother has always had this same two best friends, like, my whole life. They're my godmothers. They... I I remember being a child when I still was in New York, sitting on my aunt's bed. I mm. remember a group of women sitting together holding hands and one woman with a scarf around her head. And I remember thinking, wow, this is so interesting. I had never seen a woman wrap her hair up before that moment, mm. right? So seeing her with her hair covered, I couldn't take my eyes off of her, but also because she was the one leading the prayer circle. And I don't know, I think they were praying because my my cousin, my aunt, my mother's best friend, um, her son had been diagnosed with, with some type of a, um, disability of some kind. And so the women came together and they were praying, and that was my first prayer circle. And that experience because they let me sit on the bed with them that experience never left me and there's not a lot that I remember from growing up but that one was 
that was something. It was we were transported with that that woman praying, and I don't even know who that woman is to this day. My mom probably wouldn't even know who she is, but being able to create our own prayer circles, I think that's that's one of the that's one of the more um, impactful experiences I've ever had as, as far as connecting with people through any spiritual activity. Um, and we had people on that line who were all types of Christian. We had a couple Buddhists. We had you. And, you know, I always just thought, oh, Neha is Hindu. That's all I, I thought. I didn't, I never heard the term wild Hinduism. I wanted to, I want you to tell us about that. And any connection to voodoo, I would love to know about that too. But I, I really want to know about some of the books because I have one message to me today that they were listening to the podcast and they were right, taking notes and, and buying books online as they were listening. So my book recommendation in this one is In Search of Our, Our Mother's Gardens by Alice Walker. What yes. are some of the books that were really important in your your upbringing? What are some of the books you would say raised you and some of the goddesses? I would love to know that. Um, so, unfortunately, the book that a lot of him, you know, like the books that are associated with Hinduism, I really struggle to relate to because early on, I recognized that there was something fishy about who wrote them and why they mm. were written. So I, I believed in the chants, I believe in the gods and goddesses, but I didn't believe in the verses in the books. Um, so I never really like, thought of them as sacred verses. So I am. So I believe that that is part of the reason that I said that I was going to be a writer because I want to rewrite these books for us. Um, mm. You know, I just feel like all I believe in all the goddesses, but I I am also very like who wrote the stories for these goddesses? I a lot of mm-hmm. times. A lot of time, bad men who did not want them to be in their full glory, and I think that's where my spirituality meets my politics. It's not hatred for men. I love men. It's just my intense love for women. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and in, in a sacred <laughs> way, in a sacred way. Um, and and so yeah, so there weren't really like a lot of spiritual or religious books that um, captured my heart and my soul but there were a lot of political books that did uh started with like basic marxism Karl marx right even though it was a white man writing about um class and poverty that was my first step to being like oh there are like inequalities in the world and that's something i need to inspect and there was a lot of um black writers actually which is why from early on i was convinced that everything started in 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 Africa, that's where everything comes from, um, mm-hmm. and I think like being educated with a lot of like Anglo-Saxon, like European American English white books and stuff, I uh, stumble onto somebody called Tinua Achebe, who's a Nigerian writer, and and uh, mm-hmm. he, yeah, and he wrote, he said something along the lines of you know like who writes the history. Um, 
and that I really, really felt it. I felt it in terms of spirituality, as in like who were writing stories for these goddesses. And I, and I felt it in terms of history, as in like who were writing stories for these black and brown cultures and civilizations. And I felt it in terms of so many ways. And that's when I decided, okay, I want to write. I believe in spirituality, but I wasn't born with um gift of being a medium. I wasn't born with a gift of being an herbalist, but I was born with a gift to write. Um, so that's yeah. when, like, early on, like, maybe I was 15 or 16, I was like, okay, my purpose in life is to rewrite the stories for the goddesses, for, for our, our daughters, for our, for our men, because men are important too, for the boys, for everybody. So just bring balance yeah. to who writes the stories, who writes the history books. Um, so, yeah, so in terms of books, I would say Chinua Achebe, I think when Audre Lorde writes about anger, it's very also pre-colonial Hindu where we have goddesses like Kalima, who is literally mm. the symbol of anger, symbol of war, but also one of the most important goddesses, right? But European culture says that anger is bad, that envy is bad, <laughs> that lust is bad, but we have pre-colonial Hinduism saying, no, there are goddesses of lust, there are goddesses of sex, there are goddesses of anger, and Audre Lorde says the same thing. So um, when I read Audre Lorde, when I read Bell Hooks, it was like, oh my God, you are saying the same thing that I believe my goddesses have been saying to me since they have wow. been raising. Um, so it was this like collaboration that I had with a lot of like black, especially female um, writers and authors and activists and academics and like my spiritual um, squad um, that I brought to United States with me from Nepal and it was also mm-hmm. James Baldwin um, you know who was speaking for um, a lot of like um, diaspora and yeah a lot of especially black writers um, and also Arundhati Roy who's um, Indian writer, woman writer who speaks um, of a lot of caste injustice that happens back home. Um, and Parijat, a Nepali author who was way ahead of time, who wrote about being a mother without giving birth. So there were a lot of these radical men and women and people in between who I felt like were saying the same thing that my spiritual squad have been saying to me as they were raising me. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so Audre Lorde, Chinua Achebe, Arundhati Roy, James Baldwin, um, um, Dr. Ambedkar, um, yeah, those have been my favorite authors and they have produced the books that I still have in my room and I still regard as my spiritual books, my Bible, my Quran, yeah, those those words are my scriptures. Oh, shame. Oh, I love that. I'm going to ask you to write these authors in some of the titles down because I'm going to put them in the notes because I need to go get some of these books. You know, I've never read one book by Bell Hooks. Can you believe Mm. that? I made it through A&T. So Mm. I picked up a book recently because when I was out gathering herbs, I saw it, the um, All About Love. I opened Mm -hmm. straight to a page that was on spirituality, and I was like, oh, Spirit wants me to have this book for sure because it was yeah. so powerful when I read yeah. Now, you know that you were born with the gift to write. 
when yes. did you start putting pen to paper? Is it when you were 16 or were you younger? So since, I don't know, maybe I was like six or seven years old, I am an only child. Um, you know, which usually would come with a lot of privileges, but because of my parents and their conditions, I was an outcast because no parents wanted their kids to play with me. Um, you know, it was always like, oh, don't play with her. Her father is a drug addict or like alcoholic. Her mom is this, this. So I was left alone most of the time. So I would write a lot. Um, I remember there was a cereal that I hated. It like tasted so bad, but I convinced my grandparents to buy it for me because it came with like a diary. <laughs> Um, you know, it came with oh, a journal. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. so I started writing really young because I was very lonely because no parents really, like, let their kids play with me um, because I was fine, but because of my parents. So, um, yeah, I started writing, maybe I was, like, nine or ten years old. I started writing. I started journaling everything. Um, yeah, it, it came to me really early. But I did not share it with anybody until I was in high school. And then uh, one of my teachers in a school that was ran by missionary actually took me aside and told me that I wrote well, but she was not ready to say it in front of the nuns because my writing was controversial. So she would never give me good grades. But when the nuns were not around, she would tell me how amazing I wrote. Um, so it was very confusing to a What Right. What kind of fucking <laughs> mixed messages are you sending, sister? Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, yeah, man. But I, At yeah, least she said but something, also, but... Ugh. Yeah, it was really weird. And my mother was very, very against me writing because, um, you know, as a very oh young mother, she also felt like whatever I was writing was against her. So she did not want me writing. So she would burn a lot of my journals or like, whoa, you know, like beat me if I wrote. So it, it came with like, so writing to me meant having to go through a lot of punishment, but it was worth it. Um, I knew I was going to get beat. My, my ass would be beaten up if I like, if my journal ever got caught, but I was like, okay with it. It's the price I paid. Um, so it was just this like punishment, but. I was okay with it. I, I needed it. So I was like, it was worth the, all the pain that I had to go through. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it, it came really early. I started writing. That was my first best friend. That was my first soulmate. That was my first friend. That was my first parent, actually. Yeah. Your writings and your spirits raised you. Yeah. Wow. How do you feel about aloneness now? Um, so I, I mean, you know this, this is the first time in my adult life that I've been single. Um, and I feel very, very good about being alone because I don't feel lonely at all. Um, like I said, I feel like I've traveled from one continent to the other, but I brought my spirit squad with me. So there's never been a moment I've felt alone. Um, but when my partner, who I believe is my, you know, soulmate, whatever, um, left, I there was a moment I felt very lonely. But now I realize that it wasn't loneliness. It was just this, like, 
oh my god i'm alone not lonely but alone but i love my alone right now it doesn't feel lonely it feels very wholesome it feels very full it feels very content um and it feels like it's again like i have all these spirits i still don't know who they are what they are but they're with me and i feel very yeah. blessed i feel very protected but i am never alone um and there are moments of loneliness but i am not lonely just i have moments Beautiful. of loneliness but i am not lonely yep Beautiful. i did not realize that you had the habit of or that your natural instinct was to write in response mm. to loneliness when you were young. The fact mm. that that would come up so much for you now as an adult is like you're alone, right? You're alone, right? You're alone so you can write, perhaps, okay? So the fact that that comes up again, it feels, it feels very orchestrated <laughs> to yeah, me, I anyways. Yeah, I wonder, you know, like, right now, I feel very, um, because I'm at a place where I'm very peace, at peace, I wonder if I was ever alone. I wonder if my writing was actually a conversation I was having with my spirit squad, you know? I wonder if it, like, I don't know if it was a response to my aloneness, but more of a conversation I was having with energies that were around me. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I've heard some writers say that. I've heard um, Sister Soldier, which is, she's one of my, she's probably my favorite woman novelist, right? So she um, she said that this, the characters tell her, right? Mm-hmm. Do you hear that with authors sometimes? That they tell you what to write when you're, when you're writing fiction. But for the spiritual things, especially when you knew that your mission was to rewrite some of these stories for the goddesses, it makes mm-hmm. perfect sense that they would begin to communicate with you, you know? Right. You're an amazing person. It is in, it, it's wild to me to know someone for, it is 11 years now, Neha, because it's 2019 now. So okay. for 11 years, and to be like, oh, my God, this happened to you? This is your story? This woman I've been praying with and sharing mm-hmm. space with? Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I'm so happy that you took time. I know that it's cold up there. You guys are having awful weather in Boston. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you That's so awesome. much. No, thank you. I know you. people are going to love your story. No, you know, I always tell people, like, I, I am very spiritual. I also feel like the spirits are very present around me, but I also um, don't think I am a medium. I, I know, not just think, but I know I am not meant to be doing tarot cards or I'm not meant to be doing or, like, leading the healing process. That's why I come to you because, like, that's you that's not me you know we're all meant for different roles and I fully trust you and I like you know you are my guidance when it comes to my spiritual path and it's been like forever and I've like trusted you and it's always 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 
work and I always tell my people like I actually pay for therapy I, I go to therapy and you know I consult with you and I go to therapy <laughs> and I don't know whether you are like talking to my therapist or not but both of you <laughs> end up saying the same dang damn thing except you use the word spirits and like other and 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 the, you know my therapist uses like projections and all the other like psycho whatever words but always same message and not just that but like my astrologers back home my parents astrology they say the same thing so you know I've been a believer because like I have so many testimonies about how like you have guided me to the right path in a very compassionate way in a very and then sometimes very like look stop doing that (laughs) I'm like, okay, uh, ouch, but okay. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I know I know my role, I know my purpose, and I know your purpose, and this is why sisterhood is important. You have a purpose, yeah. I have a purpose. I cannot do what you can do. That's why I reach out to you, and you have never failed, and you have never failed me. Um, yeah. And I love you, and I feel like we have had a relationship in multiple lives, and I will forever trust that and honor that. Love that. I believe that too. I'm like, how the hell did I meet Neha? How in the hell? You know what I mean? Crazy. (laughs) I don't. I don't. I still don't know. I'm like, I don't remember the first time talk. I just know that you were there in the circle, and you were chanting, and we were praying. And we're still doing it. We're still at it. That's all I know. That's all I know. Yep. Our spirits brought us together, period. And I'm so grateful that they did. And I can't wait for people to hear your story. I know that they're going to love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, honey. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this. We're going to get together um, and do a list of books, and I will add it to the notes for this episode. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, Neha. Thank you.